Well, I'm excited this morning. Pastor Ryan, who is pastor over college age and young adults, is going to be ministering this morning. And so would you give Jesus a great hand as he comes? Uh, there we go. <laughs> I'm the pastor of the Grove, which is the, the college and young adult uh, ministry, and that's ages 18 to 29, although we've got some people on the fringes of both of those. We've got some people in the 50s that come, and they help and volunteer. So this is my, uh, my shameless plug. Uh, so if you're in that age group, uh, age group, you should come. It's a lot of fun. Also, if you're not in that age group and uh, you feel like you have a desire to volunteer with that age group, we'd love to have you come and be a part of of the Grove and just helping out uh, with that ministry. It's, it's a great ministry too because the age, uh, unlike, you know, teenagers and, uh, you know, high school and middle school, they, they think they know everything. But once you get into the young adult age, you realize that you don't know everything. You're living on your own and you need some help. And uh, so we're looking for some good people that are willing to pour life into uh, this age. So if you feel like you want to do that, Come and talk to me. Uh, also, uh-oh. there we go. Uh, we have uh, RSM, which is the Rock School of Ministry. Uh, that's going to be kicking off again in uh, August, and we're looking for some people who are willing to be host homes for students that are coming in from out of, uh, from around the, um, sorry, the surrounding areas, different cities, or out of state. Also, if anyone's that's who lives in Castle Rock, we also, you know, it's good for them to not live with their parents when they're going to school so they can kind of get a real life experience of what's going on. So if you, if you have the, a, a spare room, uh, we, you, they will pay rent. So it's not for free. It's not a, it's not a handout. Um, if, if that's something that you'd like to do, come and talk to me or you can email me at ryan at therock.org and we'll get you set up with more information about how you can be a host home uh, for the students for the Grove or uh, for RSM. Um, so Jesus was born two days ago and he's a full grown man now. So it's a miracle. How many of you guys are still suffering from a Christmas hangover? Yeah, I am. And I've got, so I've got three little boys and I think Christmas gets less fun as they get older. At least that's what people tell me. Right now, I've got the sweet spot because uh, they're all little and uh, the presents are cheap. Uh, so it, it's not, I'm not, and it's, it's harder as you get older because, you know, teenagers ask for computers and cars and things like that uh, for Christmas. Actually, uh, you watch the commercials during Christmas every year and, you know, Santa Claus brings them a car and there's a bow on top. Does that actually ever happen? <laughs> Has anybody ever got a car for Christmas? <laughs> I'd like to, uh, but I feel like that's a, that's a bigger purchase. That's something that you have to talk about. You can't just go out and drop 30 grand or whatever on a brand new car for your spouse, uh, but buying, buying a Tonka truck for your kid, you can do that without talking to your spouse because you know, that's what you're supposed to do. But I'm, I'm an incredible dad because I know my kids, I know them so well, and uh, I knew exactly what to buy them. I got them, you know, Ninja Turtles and trains and cars, like car, not just car cars, but like cars from the movie cars. And, uh, and, and they love it. It's, it's fun too, because when you watch them at that age and they open up a present, my two-year-old, he opened up a present and we couldn't get him to open up the other presents. Like he just wanted to play with that one present that he got. 
And which, if we would have known that, we would have saved a ton of money. But we didn't know that, so we opened up, and we're like, no, I, so you take the toy away from him, and he cries, like, no, 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 just wait, I, we got more. You gotta open up all the rest of them. So we were up to here in wrapping paper. Um, but it's great because I know my kids so well, and uh, it's fun to watch them open up presents. And I know that, you know, Christmas, we talk about Jesus being born. And, uh, you know, we, we had Christmas, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about that just because it was only two days ago. Um, but I, I feel like that's the way God is with us. Like he sees, he sees us and he's like, look, I've got something so amazing for you. And it's Jesus. And then we get so excited and like, that's, that's all we want. And then we're not, we're not willing to open up any of the other presents or the things that he has for us in this life. Um, and, and because he knows us so well, he knows exactly what to get us. And he knows exactly not just what we want, but what we need. And he'll always know what we need. And I always know what my kids need. Uh, and, and they all have different needs because, so <clears throat> if you're a teenager you're, and you have lots of siblings, your parents don't love you the same. Like it's, it's different. But they do love you uniquely. And that's the way God loves us. He doesn't love us all the same. He loves us uniquely. And I love each one of my kids uniquely, and I have a, a unique relationship with each one of them. And that's why I know exactly what to get each one of them. That's why I don't just buy cars for all of them because my oldest isn't gonna want that. He wants something different because he's, he's unique from my two-year-old. And so God loves us uniquely that way. But the, the only way to, to grow an understanding of the love that God has for us uniquely, we have to, we have to grow in creating history with them. And, and I wanna talk a little bit about that and what, what I mean by that. Like I have, I love my wife. Uh, she's not here because she had to take the kids home. But she, she's amazing. And I could tell you all about her. I could tell you about how we met. I could tell you about the things that we fight about. I could tell you about the things that she does that drives me crazy. I could tell you about the things that we cry about. I could tell you about the things that we laugh about. I could tell you, like, I could tell you what she likes to wear and the process we go through and we're picking out jeans and we're buying jeans. I could tell you about all of these things and you'd have all the information in the world about my wife, but you would not have intimacy with her because there's no history between you and the knowledge that you have. And so I've gone through all of these experiences and if I were to pass away and my wife was to get remarried, whoever marries her uh, would not have the same relationship with her that I have because they wouldn't have the same history. They wouldn't have the, the trials that we went through. They wouldn't have the times that we lived in New York or they wouldn't have the, 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 the struggles that we went through when we lost our first baby. They wouldn't have any of that history that I have with my wife and neither would you. And so the intimacy would be different. And it's the same with God. God has, I have unique experiences with him that are only unique to me, that's not unique to anyone else, that no one else has. Why? Because he loves me uniquely. I could tell you about how I met him for the first time. I could tell you what it was like when I got on my knees and I gave my life to him for the first time. I could go on and on and on about all the things that he's done with me in my life and how he taught me how I don't have to worry about money and how he, he taught me how to read the Bible and he taught me how, how to pray. And then I could go through the Bible and I could tell you all about God and you'd have all this information about him but you wouldn't have an intimacy with him because there's no history. Does that make sense? And because the Broncos aren't playing today, I've got all the time in the world, so we're gonna, I'm gonna tell you all the information I know 
And we're gonna start Genesis chapter one. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. But in, go, in getting to know someone, you have to ask questions. You have to find out information. And so information or knowing things about someone doesn't necessarily gain you intimacy. But you can't have intimacy without knowing about the person. And so when, when we're talking about God, we have to, you know, if I, if I were to, this is how most of us uh, communicate with God. And if I were to communicate this way with my wife, we wouldn't get very far. If I was at, like, Lisa, I, I need breakfast. Can you make me breakfast? Oh, I need lunch now. Can you, can you make me lunch? It's dinner time, and I don't have any clean pants. Are you going to do the laundry? If all I ever did was ask her to do things for me, how far would I get in the relationship that I have with her? I wouldn't get very far. She probably wouldn't like me very much. But if I were to sit down and I can tell you that when I, when I talked with Elisa, when I met her for the first time, I asked her all kinds of questions. I wanted to know about her. I didn't ask her to do things for me. What's your favorite color? What are your dreams? What are your hopes? Where do you want to go? If you had all the money in the world, money wasn't an issue, where would you want to travel? To find out the things of her heart. And I think oftentimes with us, that's what we need to do with God. We need to get with Him. And instead of asking Him for things, we come before Him and say, God, tell me about you. I want to know about you. God, what are your dreams? What are your hopes? What are your desires for the future? Because He does. He has dreams and hopes for you. And He's got desires and things that He wants to do in the future. And all we have to do is ask him, and he's so ready and willing to talk to us about it. He wants to share the secrets of his heart with us, and that only happens through intimacy. There's things that my wife and I talk about that I would never talk to another person on the planet about, because I trust her completely, because I know her. I know her inside and out. I don't know you jokers. I don't know any of you. There's things that I'm not going to tell you, but I'll tell her anything. And there's a say, it's the same with God. He wants to tell us things, but we have to get to know him in the process. And so, because we did just have Christmas, I want to I talk a little bit. Sorry. My nose always runs when I talk. It just, it's just like it turns on. Uh, we want, I want to, uh, we're gonna, I want to talk a little bit about the Christmas story. Um, because we just had Christmas. Jesus was born two days ago. And... Uh, these certain particular scriptures we read every single year, whether, whether they're read during the Christmas Eve services or if you do a, a Bible, you know, read the Bible in the year, these are the scriptures that, that you read at the very beginning of every year. And so we're going to start with um, uh, Matthew 2. And uh, I, I want to talk about this, and I want to talk about how, how we're to be looking for the stars, okay? So in Matthew 2, verse 1, uh, it goes through... Th- uh, 12, but I'm, I'm not going to read all of that for you. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where is the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star um, had appeared. He sent, to them, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the child. And as soon as you find uh, him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, I just, I'm, I'm gonna ruin the, the ending for you. Spoiler alert. He has no intention to go and visit Jesus. And the Magi, they end up getting a, a dream from God, warning them not to go back and tell Herod about, about where Jesus was. And so they went home in a different, they went to back to their own country in a different way. And as a result, Herod, he was so threatened by this baby Jesus, he goes out and he kills every child under the age of two. I'm just gonna pray for a sec. God, we thank you so much for, um, we thank you so much for, for Christmas. We thank you for wrapping paper and presents and, and all of that. God, we just, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come into this room today, that you would speak to us, that you would speak clearly to us. God, regardless of what comes out of my mouth, Lord, I pray that this would be more of an opportunity to you to speak to a captive audience than any other time. And so we just give this entire uh, rest of this morning into your hands, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I have, I have four brothers. I'm number four of five. And we're all uh, refined genetics. We all look like this, um, <laughs> which is great. And uh, uh, so we... we we're, we're all competitive, but we're not necessarily competitive with each other. And I think the reason why we were never competitive with each other was because we just knew that we were better than the rest. So we didn't have to compete. Um, we all have different skills and talents. Uh, my oldest brother is an artist. Uh, he draw, he's just absolutely amazing. It's, it's, uh, it's unreal. And then uh, my next brother, he's, he's the peacemaker. He's the one that would, you know, cause everyone to, to be peaceful and calm down. And, you know, can we all just get along? And then uh, my, my right above me uh, brother, his name is Craig. And uh, he was an athlete, uh, just incredibly uh, good cyclist. He, uh, he was a professional cyclist for a long time. Uh, and then my little brother, we call him Fat. Uh, but he's not fat. He was just blessed with a body that didn't look like this. So he has, he has actual muscle on his bones uh, versus the rest of us. Uh, so, so we call him fat. He's, he's a mechanic. He's incredible. He's, he's super fun. I uh, love him. He, so, the, the, so if you're the youngest, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not the youngest, so I don't, I don't know this, the joy that my little brother gets to have. But we all picked on him growing up. But now that he has... Uh, meat on his bones, he can actually, like, and I'm not exaggerating, he can single-handedly by himself wrestle all four of us to the ground because he's a mechanic and he's, you know, wrenching things off. So his forearms and his grip is just disgustingly brutal when it grabs you <laughs> and it just makes you fall to the ground. That's all it takes. Game over. Uh, and then there's me, uh, the humble one, who's... who's <laughs> The best looking, uh, the most talented. I've got everything that my other brothers have. I, I've, I've got uh, a tenfold. So, uh, but, uh, like my older brother, he's a cyclist, and uh, so I was like, well, if he if he can do it, I 
I can definitely do it. So uh, I entered one race and I won. So I retired. I went out on top. I never did another one. Didn't need to prove anything to anybody after that. Uh, but uh, so me and my brother, we were, we were talking and uh, I was telling him about how good I've gotten at basketball. And so none of us, none of us are basketball players. Like I have brothers, we're all, you know, six foot, six, four, six, five. And uh, I think I'm the only one that made the basketball team in elementary school. I made the B team just because I was tall or because they had pity on me. So none, that was the, I mean, that's the one skill none of us got was, I mean, a white man can't jump. Uh, I can't, just nothing. So I was telling my brother that um, I, I've gotten so good at basketball that I could beat you. And he's like, there's no way you could beat me. And he knew that. He knew that I couldn't beat him simply because he's my older brother. It's that older brother syndrome. And he, he used that against me often. And so we're like, no, no, no. We were fighting. We were going back and forth. Like, I guarantee I could beat you. He's like, no, it's ridiculous. We were, you know, doing movie quotes against each other. It was an all-out battle of words. And uh, my wife and his girlfriend at the time, they're like, I want, we want to see this. Let's make this happen. So we went to the gym. We donned on shorts which is not a pleasant experience for anyone else. And, uh, and so we, we started playing basketball. And it was pathetic. It was, it was the worst display of athletic ability that you will ever see in your life. Like, I can't even fathom a worse, like, falling in the 100-yard dash before you cross the finish line is better than what we looked like. It was, it was awful. And so we're going, we're going at it, and about halfway through it, we're, just, we're ah, just so exhausted and tired. I pulled a hamstring. I think Craig burst his spleen. It was, it was, and, and meanwhile, my wife and his girlfriend are laughing their heads off on the sidelines. It was, it was a spectacle. I think we scored maybe a total of uh, like four points in the whole game. It was pathetic. Uh, and I hate to, I am the humble one. So I lost. So it's, anyways, but this is, that's what happens when you think you're the best at everything, is you end up being made a fool. You end up looking stupid and foolish, and both me and my brother, we look dumb, and uh, we will never do that again, and we don't even talk about it to each other anymore. This, it, it took a lot of courage for me to even tell you that we did this, and so this is how I feel uh, what I think about Herod is he was so consumed in his own empire and thinking that he was the best and he was the greatest and it was all about him that he had no desire even though the reality was that he had the opportunity to meet God face to face for the first time. Yet he missed the star completely. And so I love reading this because every year it reminds me that there's a star and I don't want to miss out on what God has for me, even though it's plain to everyone else to see. Yet I miss out, or Herod miss out, or we miss out because we're consumed with building our own empire and building our own egos, and it's all about me. When in reality, it has nothing to do about us at all. It has everything to do with Jesus. Always has, and it always will be. And I want to tell you another story. Now, this is, this is uh, the same time frame, but in complete contrast to Herod, because Herod was all about himself. He couldn't even see what was happening, that the world literally changed two days ago. The world changed and it will never be the same. And he missed out 
because he was, he was looking at himself and reading about his own empire. And so we're going to read in Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 8. And like I said, this is the same time frame. This is the Christmas story. He said, and there, and there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So this is the first thing that sets Herod and the shepherds apart, is the fact that the shepherds were keeping watch over the flocks. So they weren't consumed about what was about them. They were taking care of their sheep and someone else's sheep. It was about the sheep. They were keeping watch and making sure that the sheep were being taken care of. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And it's amazing. I, th I love just thinking about this. You're a shepherd. You're in the fields. It's nighttime. There's some sheep. You know, you're not really doing anything, cleaning up poop, whatever. I don't know what shepherds do. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Like, they're, they're encompassed by the glory of God. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. There will be for all the peoples. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is, the, he is Christ the Lord and will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared and the angel appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men whom his favor rests. So they're encompassed by the glory of God because his angel appears to them. They're terrified. He's telling them about Jesus. And then the next thing that happens is a whole, it says a host. Wait, 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 what does it say? Yeah, heavenly hosts appear. So a lot of angels, I don't know how many that is in a host, but probably more than you can count. They all appeared and they started singing. Glory to God in the highest. That's an incredible thing to witness. Unbelievable. Then the angel had left and gone to heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. When we're consumed about ourselves and when we're consumed about what's going on, uh, we tend to miss out on the star. We miss out on everything that God has for us. And yet the, shep the, she the, the shepherds, you could say a bad word in there. The shepherds, they were not consumed about themselves. They were, they were more concerned about the sheep. And so as a result of being fixated on something else other than just themselves, the angel appeared to them and they heard exactly what was told to Herod, that Jesus has been born. The people told Herod the same thing. And their first response is, we need to go see. We need to go see for ourselves. And in the end, it says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things they had heard and seen, which were just as it had been told to them. So at that moment, the shepherds were, they were just minding their own business. The angels appeared to them. History started for them in their relationship with God and in their relationship with Jesus. Simply because they got out of themselves, they walked away from the sheep, which were important, 
and they went to see Jesus. And as a result, they came back praising God, probably in a way that they've never praised God before, simply because they saw the face of God in a baby. Now, the amazing thing about this, too, is shepherds, shepherds are common, ordinary people. And in the Old Testament, shepherds were actually looked down upon. In the New Testament, they were, they were, highly, they were, they were looked at favorably. Why? Because the shepherds took care of the sacrifice, which were the sheep. The sheep were going to be sacrificed. And the shepherds made sure that they were being well taken care of, that they would live. And God has given us the exact same thing, common, ordinary people. And he said, I want you to look after my son, the sacrifice. And he's asking us to take care and steward the sacrifice now. Does that make sense? It blows my mind to think about that. What happened? I do not want to send a report to Evernote that it crashed on me. All right. So... So we have to get out of ourselves. We have to look to the star and looking for the star, especially in this season when we're consumed with buying gifts and wrapping paper and cars. Uh, there's a, one more thing that I want to talk about just to help us in, in pursuing and creating history with God. And the last, it's this, is that Jesus is the point. Like he's always been the point. Our whole reason for reading the Bible is to gain more understanding of who he is. Everything that's been written in the, from, for, in the Bible, from the tabernacle to the Psalms of David, to the prophets, to everything that's written in the New Testament, it all is about Jesus. Everything is about him. It's all about him. Anything that we do and everything that we interact in our own life, it should be about him. And in order to know him more, in order to have an, an intimate relationship with him, we have to know more about him. And so I want to read you, uh, I think, probably the, the most amazing descriptive sentences about Jesus that have ever been written or ever even thought of. And it's in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to break it down a little bit. It says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand uh, sorry, yeah, right hand of majesty in heaven. So there's a lot in that. <clears throat> and so I'm going to break it down. There's, there's seven things, seven incredible descriptions of, of who Jesus is in this short little paragraph. And the first thing is that he's heir of all things. And so what does it mean to be an heir? Well, we can think about Prince William. If you think about Prince William, he's heir to the throne of England. Once he is the king... Everything is his. Everything is his. Everything under that, in that kingdom, it belongs to Prince William. But the, the amazing thing about the, or, uh, the difference between being an heir and just inheritance is when you receive an inheritance, you just, oh, yeah, that's good. That's mine. And now I can go and spend it on a new car. But when you're an heir, you're actually carrying on the legacy of what has gone on before you. And so Prince William, he's going to receive the kingdom 
but he's going to continue the, the legacy of all of the generations of kings before him. And then he's going to continue to make more legacy going forward. And so this is who Jesus is. He's continuing the legacy of his father. And then the Bible even tells us that we've been invited into that, that we are also heirs with Jesus in this. And we are to carry on the legacy with him. It says, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. The second thing, through whom the universe was made. So this, this kind of goes, this should have been the first thing the writer says, because this is like the beginning. Everything was made through him before he even inherits everything. So if you go clear back to the beginning, when God spoke the world and everything into existence, that was done through Jesus. So through whom the universe was made. It's like through Jesus, everything was made. Me, you, the chairs, whatever. Everything was made through Jesus. And then he is the radiance of God's glory. This one, I was like, how do you even talk about the radiance of God's glory? I don't even understand that. Like, how do, what do, you, how do you fathom the radiance of God's glory? And I had to, I, I did a little bit of research and I was like, well, what does that even mean? Like radiance. Well, it's like if, if you looked at God and that glow around him, that's the radiance, like the glory, the, the radiance. So he's the radiance of God's glory, the splendor and the awesomeness of who he is. That's Jesus. And when I was thinking about that, I made me realize like, well, what was Moses really asking for when he said, God, show me your glory? I think he was asking to see Jesus because the glory of God is the, he is the radiance of the glory of God. The sun is the manifestation of the person and presence of God. So next time we sing, show me your glory, what are we really asking for? We're asking to see Jesus. He is the exact representation of his being. So I have three kids. They kind of look like me. None of them act like me, especially now. I don't whine before I go to bed. <laughs> so this is totally. When you put little kids in pajamas, they go crazy. <laughs> what is that? I don't do that. I put on my pajamas, I go to bed. You put on their pajamas, it's like you've given them crack, and I don't, I don't understand that. They could be falling asleep on the couch, drool coming out, and you say, okay, let's put your pajamas on, and all of a sudden, they're insane. And I have no idea how that happens. He is the exact representation of his being. In Colossians, it says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So when we see Jesus, we see exactly who God is with no deviation. No deviation between the two. He provided purification of sins. I mean, that's, that one's easy. The cross. That's what the cross did. He, and then the last one, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So all authority, all power, all honor, and all favor is given to Jesus and to no one else. 
All the favor of God, which he has a lot of favor, all of that has been given to Jesus. No one else can take that place. That's who Jesus is. And Jesus is also the person that comes and sits with you when you're in your prayer closet. He's also the person that comes and sits with you when you're in the hospital praying for people. He's the person that comes and sits with you when you're watching the Broncos lose. He's so tangible and so real, even though he's also all of those seven things which are completely mind-blowing. Most of these things, I still have no idea how I can even possibly wrap my hand or my mind around the radiance of God's glory. Like, I don't even know. But that's who he is. But the thing about knowing more about Jesus is just knowing him doesn't gain me intimacy. But you can't have intimacy without gaining knowledge and understanding of who he is. And so when you're reading your Bible, ask God questions. What do you mean by this? Tell me what you're talking, what, what the heck are you talking about? Mold, I don't know why you're talking about mold. Ask him questions and he'll tell you. And that's how you gain understanding of who he is. And it's through the asking of the questions that you gain intimacy. Just like with your spouse or with your best friends. Everything we read in the Bible is about him. It's all about him. There's nothing that's been created or will be created that's not about Jesus or points to him. I can't even think of a single message in my life that I have ever heard a preacher preach or heard anyone ever talk about that has been more impactful on my life or probably your life than the gospel message. That one message that Jesus who had no sin became sin so that we wouldn't have to suffer the consequences. From that moment in your life, everything changes. Everything in your life changes. There's nothing in your life before hearing that message that doesn't alter or become impacted by the gospel message. Because Jesus changes everything and everything is about him. Romans says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Ever since two days ago when Jesus was born till now, people's lives have been changed and will continue to be changed until he comes back because it's all about him. But the band can come back up. Anything beyond Jesus in gaining understanding or knowledge or wanting to know who he is, anything beyond him is only used to point you closer to him. Whether it's prophecy or healings or signs of wonders, greater knowledge of the word, all of that means nothing without Jesus. And without Jesus, all of those things only become idolatry unless we're using them to know him more and to have others, others know him. John 1, this is one of my most favorite pieces of scripture, and if you come to the Grove, you'll hear this often, because I love, I don't, I love reading this. I read it all the time. It's one of my, it's John chapter one. Just that first couple of paragraphs in John chapter one, because it explains who Jesus is to the, that makes it real. But it says, In uh, verse 3, it says, through whom all things 
all things were made. And without him, nothing has been made. And in Colossians 1.3, it says, before all things, and in him, all things hold together. So when I'm out there playing basketball in my beautiful shorts and my knees are shining, my legs don't fall off because Jesus is holding my legs together. All things hold together in him. The world stays on its axis because Jesus makes it stay there. So in the coming year, I want to challenge you guys to commit to creating history. Intimacy doesn't happen overnight. Anybody who's in a relationship knows that every time and every day and every conversation, you grow in intimacy with the person you love. It's the same with God. Every time we have a conversation with him, the intimacy is going to continue to grow. It doesn't happen overnight. But commit to creating history with him every single day. And how do we do that? We do that by keeping watch. Pay attention to him and what he's doing. And don't get sidetracked by what ISIS and the news and everything else is telling you to do. Because none of that matters. Jesus does matter because it's all about him. He's no longer in a crib and he's no longer confined to a stable. He's real. Who baby Jesus is, is nothing compared to who he is now. I'll never get tired of people telling me how great my kids are. My wife is gonna hate me for saying this, but I tell her often that I feel bad for other people when they have kids because they're not gonna be as great as my kids. But I'll never get tired of that. I'll never get tired of that. And we should never get tired of hearing about Jesus. Every time we come to church and they start talking about Jesus, don't just turn it off because you've heard it a hundred times before. Because it's all about Him. We should never get tired of that. We're gonna enter into a, a, just this last song. This is something that we do at the Grove because I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I'm really just not that smart. Humble, remember? But the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you need. And at the end of every single service, we go into worship again to give God an opportunity to speak something unique to us that I didn't say. Because there's things that you need to hear that I didn't say that God wants to tell you right now. And so we're gonna stand to our feet and they're gonna lead us in another song. And we're just gonna sit here and I just want you guys to just worship God and allow Him to speak to you and allow Him to start creating a unique, intimate history with you starting today as we look forward to, to 2016. So Jesus, we thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for, for being born in a disgusting stable. Lord, we thank you for drawing us here. And Father, I pray that every single person as we, as we worship you, as we lift up the name of Jesus, that you would speak to us clearly about whatever it is that we're going, that's going on in our lives. Father, I thank you that you love every single one of us in a unique, special way. You know exactly what we need every single day, and you know exactly what we want. And so, Lord, we just commit this next song to you. And Lord, we pray for 2016 to be the best year that we've ever had, simply because we are growing in intimacy with the most amazing man that has ever lived on the face of the planet, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.